0: Welcome to the ICN Podcast. Today we are in conversation with Paul Smith and David Pinkston and myself, Luke Keeley, as we explore this topic of devotion. Devotion, devotion, devotion. This is a really fun topic I'm looking forward to uh, engaging with uh, among the three of us. There's been a writing series that has come out where Paul has written five articles on this topic of devotion. And we're going to play with some of those ideas and, and bounce them around here and talk about, uh, how do we, how do we, uh, live in devotion as integral Christians, as, uh, our ideas and understanding and practice of, of our relationship to God evolves. Um, what, what happens to devotion? Sometimes that can be seen as a, as kind of a simple faith sort of um concept. So Paul has written some wonderful articles and we're gonna we're gonna dive into that. So uh welcome Paul, welcome David. Good to be with you. How are you all doing?
1: Good. Excellent. Looking forward to this conversation. And I think when I first saw that we were going to be diving into the material of devotion, um I even saw my inner postmodernist um almost have allergies to that word because, you know, when we grow through that stage, we we can still buck up against the idea of being in a subservient relationship to something when we're called to love that something or someone. And yet this, uh, any love relationship has some form of adoration to it. So Paul, I'd like to hear what was coming up for you when you, um, intentionally chose that word devotion?
2: Well, I I have noticed uh, most of the people I work with and talk with are are what we call postmodern or progressive Christians. Uh, They often have a bias uh, toward devotion to the human community and away from devotion to God and spiritual presences. And uh, that may be in part because They, unlike many Christians, see the pressing concerns of human communities, such as justice and ecology and so on, as a missing piece in traditional Christianity. Uh, But I'm also aware another factor is uh, they associate uh, devotion with conservative Christianity. uh, And uh, that brings up, of course, all the abuses of sexism and homophobia and patriarchy and purity codes and false threats of hell and shaming and all all the other baggage <laughs> that uh, sincere Christians have had fostered upon them by most Christian churches in the world. And uh, uh, I've noticed even people who have deep meditative uh, practices and uh, welcome the mystical uh, do that, but they don't welcome devotion because they don't have a have a framework for for all that other stuff that comes with it and uh, i also uh the the thing that uh, i i began with thinking about was the uh, the uh the uh the word devotion uh produces something of an ick response <laughs> to traditional worship uh And devotional uh, devotion to God has traditionally been framed in the metaphors of the royal court. And so I explored that to begin with. And 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 just it really became clear to me uh, our language, Lord, King, uh, all those deals. uh, We approach God with praise and and uh, Thanksgiving and like we you know we don't want to offend the uh, the royal king uh, we bow down we kneel we don't look him in the eye we bow our heads when we pray uh and um so i i i, I explored that uh as to how that affected us so that's that's the way i i, I got into that and, to, and then to see if jesus offered a way out
0: yeah. Tell me more about the, the Royal court thing. Cause I think we can get that, but um, you know, that's, that's definitely uh, an, a really interesting connection historically and, and how that kind of has infused this, this spirituality and theology, right. Where um, you know, say it's Sunday morning and the music starts, right. <laughs> the words begin and uh, yeah. How does that, how does that relate to a Royal court? Tell 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 us some more. Well,
2: about that. we we enter his courts with thanksgiving. <laughs> the uh, the uh, you know a lot of a lot of our songs, of course, are based upon scriptures which which uh, which embrace that uh, royal court idea and God is the Almighty King hmm. and uh, the the ruler of all and we bow down before him and uh, uh, the the language is uh, is that. That uh, kind of language, and 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 if you're in a you're in a liturgical church, a Catholic church, people dress like princes and kings and queens, and the Catholic Church talks about the princes of the church, mm-hmm. and you wear robes, and and you know uh, you you get close to tiaras with the the Pope's hat, <laughs> and it's just it's uh, I, I I look through pictures of coronations of kings and 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 uh countries that have that and they look like a religious service in a in a liturgical church and in in the evangelical and charismatic churches the language is very courtly and uh god is very kingly and male and uh there's a lot of uh, bowing and kneeling and uh I mean, in, you know, in an evangelical church, prayer is always a coming by, let's bow our heads and pray. Yeah. And I've always said, why do we want to bow our heads and pray? You know? Why can't we look up and pray? I, I <laughs> well, guess. yeah,
0: it's that it's trying to make us subservient, right? Like we're the we're the peasants that <laughs> that are in the in the in the courts, looking up to the the great separate king that's distant. And 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 is that not how Jesus uh, how Jesus prayed or worshipped or was devoted to God?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. He kept calling him Daddy. So I don't so so, so something. Something happened. He, Jesus talked about a kingdom, but it was a kingdom that didn't have a, a king. It was a kingdom that had a daddy, had a father. Uh, that that changed that changed it all. Yeah, he, he was he was a breakthrough guy. He was. I, I you know, in in a little bit of
1: defense, not that we're not that we're putting the scriptures on trial, but in in Judaic thought, the higher aspects of referring to the ultimate mystery as the their understanding of the highest level of authority was to kind of subvert the human institutions of high authority uh, and to say there's always a game of one-upmanship. So when a Persian king says king of kings and lord of lords, that he refers to himself as king of kings and lord of lords, they will refer to Yahweh as king of kings and lord of lords. So they're constantly trying to one up. And, and, and I would say that the, the bowing down in other cultures, what it became in European culture was definitely threat assessment. And it's not that that didn't happen in, in um, the ancient Near Eastern world, but bowing was also a form of self-giving. And I, I'd almost, you know, like to lean into that a little bit because this, I, what does integral bowing look like? You know, if we've deconstructed what its unhealthy aspects are and we're in that integral framework now, what, what would an integral bowing look like in, in this context? And we might say... It is a form of loving, and please feel free to um, speak into this. I, I, as I have practiced it, I am not bowing to someone who demands my allegiance or faithfulness so much as it's an act of self-giving. It's almost a sexual act, if, if because uh, I know we'll lean into the eros conversation a little bit later. But there's this idea of moving in, using the body as a way of moving into an eros or an erotic um, dimension of spirituality. So I, I feel like the, the higher dimension of the Jewish vision does end up getting distorted and we end up getting into a subservient understanding of of Yahweh and, and ultimate mystery. But I would say that at its higher levels, it's definitely looking into a mutuality. Song of Solomon, for instance, is not about who's dominating whom in the love relationship, but if it's an image of Yahweh and Israel, uh, later becomes Christ in the church or the soul and spirit, uh, merging with one another. Uh, there's not a lot of games of one upmanship going on there. There's an absolute infatuation with it. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Well, and you—you you brought in the Song of Solomon. That—that's not a courtly. That's not a. That's not a king in his court. It's two lovers. The right. uh, the anthropo- anthropological tracing of uh, of the bowing is uh, uh, animals who who won't look up the the uh, the dominant animal in the eye and look down and bow shrink themselves to be smaller. So they don't get attacked by the head ape, uh, and uh, you know it has those original uh, connotations. And then, as a good postmodernist, of course, you would see you would see the 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 effect of giving ourselves to a greater power that is loving and just uh, uh, dismisses the lesser. Lesser powers, which which is true, and also I don't want to say, for for people whom kneeling in church uh, or bowing their heads is very meaningful. Hey, that's great. Keep keep you know dis, do that all you want, as long as you're not shaming yourself, right. and as long as you're not engaging in what feels to be shaming activity, uh, but you're bowing before a God who says you you too are the light of the world you too are divine and uh, so i'm not wanting to to criticize people who bow i'm just wanting to say do it if you're going to do it do it for a healthy reason and Uh, what strikes
0: me in that is like how how um you know you mentioned the the roots of it that what comes up is fear you know like this sense of we need to fear the more powerful uh animal or the more powerful king in the sense that is above and controlling and you know with any moment could strike us down and and smite us right so that's <laughs> that can be rooted into some old uh, ideas of god that we're also wanting to to move beyond and evolve from so there's there's a real difference of quality right again it's that inner heart it's that that expression of what are we what are we living from in in the depths of our uh, of our felt sense of it, right? Are we bowing because it's 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 a something we're instructed to do because it's written on the page or because we have this fear of of God or the institution or um right? these other other motivations. But when we come into these these new metaphors and understanding of of how to express our devotion, um uh, we can really be liberated from that that subservience, that fear, that even sort of institutional manipulation, right, in a sense of here's all this stately stuff, and to show how grand and wonderful this, this church, this institution is, so that you can express your devotion to it by you know, following the church guidelines and the rules and, uh, and serving the church and all that. So th- that's another element of it. But, um, you know, there's, we, we mentioned the eros, the lover, that's, that's one of the metaphors that you talked about, Paul, you also mentioned earlier about, um, the father Abba or father, mother nature of God as an expression of devotion. Let's lean into that. And I think there's one other one that you use as well, right? That Jesus yeah. brought Friendship.
2: forth. Yeah. Yeah. For your family, uh, Jesus uh, clearly, uh, saw the, uh, the, the head of, the, of the kingdom using that language as, as a daddy or a father. And, uh, uh, he, uh, he placed us into a new family of brothers and sisters. We're called brothers and sisters. We're called children of God. That just goes on, on and on and on, uh, about the, the family metaphor. And, uh, uh, I, I'm sure that in Jesus's day, there was a patriarchal family, and, and then the father carried uh, a, could carry a more dominating factor, uh, but it was still family. And so there was that, that love that ameliorated it. I was thinking about, you talk about fear. You know, the Bible says the fear, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, that's great if you're in a tribal or a warrior society. Uh, And that was that was what they needed. That was the language they spoke. But that doesn't speak to us today. And so if you if you're in a family where where the kids fear the father, uh, that's something, something, something's going on. Uh, So so Jesus clearly, clearly introduced a metaphor or a model of family and his relationship to his Abba, his Papa, his daddy was so very close and wonderful. And then the other two metaphors I I think that Jesus introduced was the one of friendship and the one of lover.
0: So I want to ask or bring forth something about family first. I was thinking about this in in some of my old days of worship and uh evangelical expressions and you know this this model of family and I I have a you know a couple young kids and um I love being with them and playing with them and engaging with them and um, I was thinking about this and and some of the 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 songs that that I used to sing to God about being so great, and, you know, just longing and pining and just just <laughs> pouring adulation on it. and and kind of as a father, I've thought about, oh gosh, I really I, I would be if my kid was like constantly saying how wonderful I was and just orienting all of their <laughs> attention and affection on me. It's like, I know it's a different situation, right? of course, but in that sense of devotion, like, we show devotion to a loving parent by by living out who we are and and coming into what they've given us you know and and how how we can live into that so that's just one of the the things there that that i mean there's so many dynamics with family that are of course um you know really really could could pull through into how we can show devotion to a parent to a brother sister to Um, to living in that way. Um, but talk a little more about friendship too. What does, what does that look like?
2: Well, okay. And to your, that's such a beautiful illustration of family that you just gave. (laughs) It's warms my heart. (laughs) Well, friendship, of course, Jesus said famously, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because I've disclosed myself to you. Everything I've heard from God, which is, that's what Jesus did and was he's disclosed. And so, uh, he he made friendship uh, the act of disclosing ourselves. Friends are people we feel safe enough to to disclose. Whoever we feel safe with, and which is a wonderful model of friendship. And uh, uh, so Jesus, I think, uh, modeled that with his friends, with his uh, with his followers. Um, he he also. Uh, uh, he he went to a lot of parties. Uh, I mean, he had a reputation of a party goer, uh, and uh, I think he took his friends along with him there and found his friends there. Uh, he was a, he was a great friend, and uh, the, the the relationship between uh, Mary the, the Mary Magdalene and the, Mary his mother and other women along with his disciples. Who had, sort of had to be men in that society uh, was just it was close. He he did not shy away from the original WeSpace group <laughs> 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 that, uh, that 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 uh, they they I mean they traveled together they live together uh, like you did in your mon- your uh, new monastic community there Luke and uh, that was that was that was a great friendship and they only lost one guy. Uh, (laughs) well
0: and you know the interesting part as you're talking it makes me realize you know like friendship requires presence you know (laughs) you have to you have to be with one another and see one another and engage and and that's how you feed friendship and you know to me that that's also indicative of how you know like we said at the beginning many people are more drawn to the the human community right the 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 dedication to that but um that kind of makes sense if we don't have a presence of Jesus with us, right? Like if we haven't awakened to that mystical reality of whether it's Jesus or another form of God beside us, a spirit guide, a, a feminine presence, right? And just kind of all the things that that brings—the the joy, the the engagement, the the surprise, right? All those things of friendship that um, that we can can do with others uh, if 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 we're not. In tune with that presence with Jesus, then, then that's that's going to be more of like a distant thing that we learn about rather than a, a friendship reality that we participate in. And I was wondering, Paul, I know you have such a, a beautiful close relationship with with Jesus there with you. Tell me, tell me something about that friendship, or or how how you are in that presence with Him. Maybe a, a funny moment of joy, or just just a little little story of a friendship, if you uh, if one rises to mind, perhaps
2: uh <laughs> well, I have many uh the, 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 one, one of my favorites is uh is that previously years past, Jesus seemed to stand about five or six feet away from me. and uh, one day I, I I said, you know, can't you come up a little closer? And uh he uh, he came up right in front of my face and uh the full disclosure now, I'm gay, okay? So I began to get aroused, <laughs> and he, 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 I said, "That's too close." And he <laughs> laughed. He said, "Don't worry about it." And he came around over to my side, my, my uh, right side, and put his hand on my arm, and he said, "Is that okay?" I said, "Yeah, that's a lot better." And uh, he, uh, he, he, I feel his presence there now, his hand on my arm. And uh, that that's been amplified by other other experiences, but uh, that was one of the more uh, vivid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I love how playful that is. You know, there's a yeah, real playfulness yeah. from Jesus there. And of course, that leads us really well into the the third metaphor of lovers. And I think we're going to have a whole other podcast specifically devoted to eros and and what that looks like. But but let's at least talk a little bit about it now because we we can't leave that out, especially after that that great story, Paul. So tell us about that.
2: <laughs> well uh when you when we think of lover if god's a lover that's how god feels about us and i think that's so so very powerful uh and i i, I titled uh, the article i wrote about this is uh, god is in love with you and wants to marry you yeah. and uh, w- when that came to my mind i thought that that's uh that's kind of shocking <laughs> you know it it's it's too sexy it's too intimate uh, what happened to holy and sacred? And it turns out that sex comes with all of that. And uh, if God's love, the, uh, the incarnation of God into a warm, erotic human flesh, both in Jesus and us, faces us with the place of erotic love in devotion. And uh, lo- lo- loving to quote people that people don't think would say such a thing, I I always uh, keep Pope Benedict's uh, quote where he says, God's passion for his people uses boldly erotic images. He said, God loves us as a bridegroom, as a lover with all the passion of true love. And uh, I I think the most glorious example of that is when Jesus was uh, having a party with the Pharisees in their house and uh, the the woman comes with her jar of, jar of ointment and and starts. Uh, uh, she she's pretty brave. She goes right to Jesus's feet and starts anointing his feet and and wipes his feet with the hair. And what we need to know is, uh, people women who did not bun their hair up in that day but let it flowing. Was an invitation to, uh, to sexual flirtation. That was an innu- innu- innuendo. And uh, bathing his feet, which is a, a, a sexual kind of thing, and wiping them with his hair was she was really flirty. And uh, and I, 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 as I read that, I think, well, Jesus, why didn't Jesus stand up and say, "Woman, what are you doing? You're you're being erotic with the Son of God." <laughs> you know. Uh, And he didn't. He said, he he used her as an example. He said, look, you guys didn't do any of this when I came in. And here she is uh, washing my feet and bathing it with her tears and drying it with her hair. And nobody's shown such love. And he used the word agape. The word love there is agape. Mm -hmm. He defined agape as her rather erotic uh, kind of love, which is probably the one she was most familiar with. And the one she most uh, e- easily gave, so uh, that's uh, and then Paul, of course, the apostle Paul says uh, that uh, that the two becoming one flesh, man and wife coming together, or we would say wife and wife or husband and husband but today, partner and partner becoming one flesh, mm-hmm. is uh, is a a description of uh what intimacy with god is that's uh that's that's about sex one flesh is he says it's the mystery it's the mystery of uh the christ in the church that's a very uh sexy mystery it's an erotic one flesh union of man and woman is a reference to christ in the church an erotic reference so uh it, it, it's it's there all the way throughout the new testament some scholars think that the the primary metaphor for the relationship of jesus and us is is sexual it's bride and bridegroom or partner uh uh for uh, our 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 society which doesn't uh, which includes more than just male and female uh so i, I think that's a, that's very powerful and 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 I use the word powerful because there's so much power in our sexuality. And I, I found the response from people uh when I when I write about that, and suddenly they say, Oh, I I suddenly feel like God really loves me now. I mean, there's a kind of a wow, you know, God 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 likes me sexually. That's that's uh that that communicates that gets into our gut that gets into our genitals that gets into our passion and uh that's what i find that's what i find it's wonderful
0: yeah about absolutely <laughs> well and the mystics i mean the mystics write with that language a lot as well and it's it's all throughout and you know to to many that might sound a little scandalous or um or, or inspiring, you know, it's kind of funny, Paul, like you said, how many people, we tend to shy away from that, right? Because it is a little, oh, I don't know about this. you know. <laughs> but so many people find that really liberating, really freeing, really wonderful, because it does tap into that deep, vital, erotic passion that we all have. And for so long, the church and and Christianity and, and other religions too, right. have really tried to stifle that, to repress it, to hold it, hold it at bay because it it's hard to control. Um, and probably for other reasons too. So there's, there's a whole lot there, but I want to tease that because, cause like we said, we could talk about that to an endless degree and we're going to, we're going to devote a whole podcast to that. So that's, that's a tease. Come back for that episode. Uh, Good, I have
1: some, I have some juicy <laughs> stories myself on that one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. So from there, maybe we could, we could zoom out. We have these metaphors and kind of the thing about family, friendship, lovers, or, or, or eros, I mean, it's all love, right? It's all love, which ties into, I mean, when we talk about devotion, when we talk about being dedicated to God, um, mm-hmm. that's, that's the Shema, right? Love, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your mind with all your soul and with all your strength um, and that's kind of the theme of your your third and fourth part of your articles paul so let's let's talk about that how do we how do we love in that way moving it into our whole body into these these four centers mind soul strength uh mm-hmm. heart um yeah what, what how do we how do we be devoted in
2: that way well uh jesus of course was quoting sort of like a commandment So, so I mean, he, he lived in a commandment society. That was the Jesus, the Jewish way of thinking. And so it was, you should, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your head, heart, gut, and feet, uh, all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, which is the the feet, body, incarnation part. And, um, but then he, he moved way beyond that what uh, the the question is oh, how do we do that well that's really hard to do and and of all things love does not respond to commands you know well you ought to love this person and you ought to love that person well how do i do that and i think the the amazing secret of the of the new testament of jesus life is that uh, we we love god because he first loved us that that we we the secret to loving god is letting God love you first, and uh, that's that's a that's a lifelong adventure to to begin to feel and touch that love from God and from Jesus and from our guides and from other people, and uh, th- that's what Jesus did when when I uh, first was getting in touch with Jesus in a closer way. Uh, and, and I felt kind of distant from him. I would, I would think about all he did, all, what he did and went to the cross to, to die for us in terms of laying down his life to speak up for the oppressed. And, uh, he devoted everything to telling us that his Abba, his daddy loved us. And that, uh, that changes me then. And then I, I feel love coming from my heart when I let that love in and, uh, so um letting God love me, letting God love me in my heart, letting God love me in my mind, in my gut, in my feet, my incarnation, uh, to me is a key to then the the, the response that just flows from us naturally is wow, I feel so loved. God, I really love you.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, that's, that's beautiful, Paul. Um, You know, focusing there on the heart, that's, that's one of the, the real main primary ways I think that, that we enter into that relational love to feeling, feeling God's love in our heart. I was, I was telling some people um, about my experience with heart devotion recently. And, Um, you know, I I had some early childhood trauma and, and wounding that my coping mechanism was to retreat into my head, to detach, to, to kind of bury my emotions. And, uh, for the longest time, I, I felt, I, I knew that God loved me. I had this really strong experience of, of how God's love was never separated from me. It was always present. It was always, it was always pouring into me. Um, but I, felt like my heart was, was not (laughs) loving in response. It was, I would pray, you know, God take from me this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Like I just, I just wanted that, that heart of love, that heart of fire to awaken in me for so long. And it, it took a long time. Uh, And I just want to name that because it's, you know, knowing God's love, receiving that, feeling it, experiencing it, especially as our, our understanding of who or what God is changes over time. And we, we kind of move through different expressions of that in our spiritual journey. Um, that, that I know for me, as I went through a dark night and really, um, a lot of wrestling and struggling it, it, it was, it was a real kind of via negativa an experience of loss an experience of lack. And I, I think that's, Um, you know, a lot of people are in that place where they're, yeah, they don't feel it, but as I look back on my experience and recognizing that even, even in the darkness, even in the loss, even in the lack, I can see, and even maybe to some extent feel how God was always there with me, how God was always still loving me, even when I couldn't feel it or, or be aware of it or, or have it flow through my heart even, um, you know, now (laughs) it's really changed for me. It's transformed where I've had this, this awakening to this, this deep blissful energy that settled in my heart. That's always there. But for a number of years, it wasn't. So, um, Mm -hmm. I just want to name that and and pull out how important that is that, um, that God will keep loving us (laughs) and it will always, always be coming toward us. And that that might awaken with strong feelings of energy of, of love at some point in our life, or, or also in the, in the struggle and the disappointment and the lack um, there, there's a, there's a love there too. That's also, that's also deep and um, isn't always felt, I guess
1: that love <laughs> and, it comes to us in ways that we or, or emerges within us. You know, it I, it's kind of phenomenological. So it's it's not always predictable in the way that it it springs up, out, forth, in with, you know, use all the <laughs> phrases that we can, but in all like love is constantly trying to help heal our psychology. And it, it's taken me forty almost forty-eight years to figure out the mystery of suffering and I'm still figuring it out and the mystery of love but I can I at least at this point in my life can look at those dark nights or look at the um, abuses or the traumas or the sufferings and look at it through a very strange lens to say you taught me actually how to love or you taught me about the, 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 the abuse didn't teach me about love but the healing from the abuse did and 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 it teaches me about my unique brand of love resistance, blocking, those kinds of things. So I can actually look back on dark night experiences and go, I did not like that when I was going through that via negativa experiences. If they're not truly negativa, you know, one might question if you're just in a natural depression or if it's an actual spiritual. Uh, Depression, you know, and there's a bit bit of a difference between um, maybe emotional depression and psychological depression and spiritual depression. But, you know, these these are different ways of love flourishing in us, with us, through us, as us, towards us that that help us in our feet, in our womb, in our heart, in our in our mind consciousness um, they're all—it's all consciousness, but you understand, like the the, the headspace—that these are these are the ways in which these four centers of spiritual knowing can actually block experiences of love. So, so for instance, if I if I use my feet as an example, my feet are is a, is my direct experience of interconnectivity of incarnate being. All, I mean I, by incarnate, I don't just mean myself, but everything. So that, if there's traumas there or if there's resistance patterns there, um, what's at stake is, am I cognitively aware of the university of being or am I literally like cellularly aware of the university of being? Uh, So I can be in environments that I might psychologically resist or not feel comfortable in. But if I sink into my feet, way of of experiencing love giving love receiving love then all of a sudden you know um i belong and everyone else belongs or whatever the situation is i'm i'm clearly speaking as someone with introvert capacities but you know i'm sure that applies in other contexts too it's it's a whole body mystical awakening isn't it
2: (laughs) i'm glad you brought that up uh uh david uh because I pondered, what does it mean to love God with our mind? And one of the first things that came to my mind is we use our mind to deconstruct Christianity of all of its abusiveness. And, and that's very liberating. And it takes it takes saying, well, I, you know, I don't think I'm this terrible sinner anymore that needs to go to hell. That's a mind thing. Uh, that that uh, is motivated by the love we feel in our hearts. So we we know God God's not that kind of God. So we if we're going to read the Bible, we have to know which parts to take and which parts to ignore and which parts to leave, like Jesus did. And uh, and then of course mystically, our our mind can when our mind shuts off, that allows us to stop thinking and it allows mystical wisdom knowing to uh arise and come up and then in the course of heart source love love is 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 when we experience the heart of god with us and our spiritual presences in jesus as you as you you said and then our, our our god loves us through our gut through our that uh that that nurturing that that courage that divine identity that eros and then uh uh God loves us through our feet, through our physical strength, through our anchoring on earth. And so God loves us through all, all four of our centers of spiritual knowing that we, we uh, in, in ICN, uh, our, our practice is whole body of mystical awakening. So we spend time in each of those centers okay. moving to a mystical consciousness so that that mystery comes up in those different shapes and those different forms and they really are different and they all enrich us and, and, and come together to let us know that we are really, really loved by God.
0: Yeah. And how that, that, then that love of receiving, how that reciprocates, how that comes forth in us through our consciousness in each of those centers, through our ways of knowing and being, I mean, I, I was, uh, kind of feeling into each of those centers as you both were were kind of describing aspects of it. And, you know, the head there for me, again, as I said, because I was someone who lived so long in my head and retreated there, that that was the safe space. That was the, 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 the place where I would understand everything and, and be in my castle. And I, I had to leave that. I had to get more into my body, right? I had to integrate. Um, and, but then returning to the head and embracing that that God's love through knowledge, through understanding, through learning, through discernment, through clarity. Um, that's, that's been a reintegration, you know, someone in one of our groups recently said to, to understand is to love. Um, and I think that's a beautiful way, uh, that a lot of people try to try to love with their minds to, to further understand something, to, to, to see it with this beautiful luminescence and clarity and, and how freeing that can be. Um, I know you've talked about that, Paul, as well, that when our minds open up to um to truth, to understanding in new ways, that that opens the channels of love to 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 be experienced in our bodies, to be, to be communicated, to to be seen, to be expressed in beauty, uh, um, and 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 really working in participation with those other centers, right? With this sort of uh the heart and the mythical quality of of storytelling and poetry and and expression um also too with the the feet I and mean, we've talked about womb and eros a bit and other things there but the the feet for me when we feel that love coming to us through the earth through the interconnectivity of all of all things um there's also that element of standing where you are and and being um being mm. Being rooted where you're planted, in the sense of I I express my love with and in the 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 space that I am now in this time, in this place with with my kids, with with the 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 people I meet in the grocery store with with a meeting on Zoom, right? That that's that right right in front of you, your feet <laughs> they'd carry you, they take you where you are. And so there's that that real immediacy, that direct experience of, okay, I'm going to love in this moment, in this place, whatever it is, whoever it's with um, in each moment. So th- there's, there's so many qualities and aspects we could also tease forth in each of these centers, but I want to take that. Cause you also, your, your last article, Paul is about the, the transcendence and experiencing that in each of the centers as well. So, so we're talking about kind of the immediacy, the relational, the devotional love in that, how do we experience devotion in each of our centers through the transcendence?
2: Thank you for asking that. (laughs) Uh, well, uh, I I just, I just
0: lobbed that up like a, like a softball on a tee, you know, (laughs)
2: you you gave me a softball. That's wonderful. Uh, well, I call it going where all is well. Uh, we Hmm. need to go where all is well. And, uh, my uh, one of my heroes, of course, is Ken Wilbert with his uh, integral philosophy, and uh, he says uh, he says that social justice, doing things to help heal the world, is uh, very necessary for the awakened person. But the first step is to get in touch with what he calls the ground of being, or what we would call God, or whatever whatever you name that ultimate reality. And then, then I love this. He he quotes a guy, uh, a famous poet and Zen student who said this. He said uh, 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 that uh, the, the, the only people who should be allowed to work on ecological programs are those who realize it's not necessary to do so. That is... You realize everything ultimately is fine. You realize ultimately all is well. And when you realize that, then you go out and make it fine. And Jesus was doing the same thing when he said to his disciples, now look, I don't want you to go out and it all over the world, uh, taking my message out until you've received this, what I call the Holy Spirit, or is this new awakened mystical consciousness and when you've got that it's going to happen there on that day of pentecost when you've got that you will be equipped to know how to be in a place where all is well that's what the that's what transcendence that 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 quality that that experience that mystical experience gives you and so he insisted they be able to experience that. And you see the same pattern in the book of Acts. When people became new followers of Jesus, The uh, the Paul and Peter and the others made sure they had an initial experience with the spirit or uh, awakened uh, heightened consciousness, so they could allow them to be in this place of transcendence that really, refuels our souls. And there's a kind of a transcendence. We 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 think of it as a as a mind thing, but there's a kind of a heart transcendence, there's a kind of a gut transcendence, there's a kind of a feet transcendence that puts us out there. And at the transcendent level, it isn't just being unified with everything. It's being unified with everything where everything is well. All is whole, all is good. All oh, is just fine, and then we go out and make it fine.
0: Yeah, and before we get into some of the experience of of that in each of those centers, I want to step back because you have this this beautiful image in your in your article on this, where it's this kind of nice pastel sunset ocean looking thing that says all is well, and then there's like this Charlie Brown saying actually all is not well, <laughs> right? Or this you know the meme of the the you know sitting in the fire and oh this is fine you know because I think that can be heard as sort of this Pollyanna or this, right. Like, uh, even, even the Julian of Norwich quote, right. All, all manner yeah. of things shall be well. Right. Yeah. We really have to experience that in a deeply transcendent way for that to be true, for that to make s- any kind of sense. Right. Cause, <laughs> cause if we're just looking at that with our ordinary consciousness, we're like, uh, no, no. Have you seen the world? Do, do you have Twitter? Right. Do you, <laughs> do you watch the news? <laughs> right. It's like, um, you know, so, so it actually really is so important to, Um, to bring that to the depth of experience and not just saying that, right. As an avoidance, as a, as a bypassing, right. So, so how do we actually experience some of that transcendent all as well um, to have that ground, to have that foundation, that, that, that deep peace of, of God that can then bring us back into the all is not well in the world and, and make it well. Right.
2: (sighs) I think you said something the other day you were quoting Gepser. you talked about uh, that we we have to have uh, some loss of consciousness to move into a mystical state and I thought oh yes that's such a great mm-hmm. idea from uh, from Geppser. and uh so so that is uh that's that's what we have to do in each of our our spaces if we start in our heart space uh we move into transcendence there, and this is where we feel all is well. And our consciousness recedes into a mystical oneness of feeling the love and feeling the well. And in our mind, uh, we our consciousness moves from the, the busy mind to the quiet mind and then to the elevated mind. Where we know all is well. It's it's just it's just a reality we see. I I can remember my first transcendent experience. I was uh, I was meditating and suddenly I uh, opened my eyes, and the walls and the room and everything was transparent. I could see right through them, and I, it was very disorienting. <laughs> and I remember uh, uh, I. Sometime later, I was talking with Ken Wilber in his loft, and describing that to him, he said, "Oh, that's an experience of one taste." And I, I knew that because I read his book on one taste, <laughs> and uh, that was that was one of my first transcendent experiences. Wow, all was well. I mean, I mean, that that transparent materiality, what well, that that stuff wasn't all that important. There was this vast, infinite knowingness of all is well. And then soul, loving God with our soul, soul transcendence is where we sense all is well. Our, our, our gut doesn't have feelings or thoughts, but it has a sensation. And uh, it's, a, it's a sensing of that. I guess it's a blend of gutsy courage and womb nurturing and, and creativity and all that living water stuff that Jesus said flows out of our gut. And we just sense all is well. And then our feet, our our embodied self, connected to Mother Earth and the material cosmos, were, were anchored in the, the healing energy of all of that. That, that that, that the material reality, that Christ is the Christian symbol for divine, human, and material reality. So that Christ energy of the material reality signals all is well all is well even with the cosmos and even Mm. with mother earth and even with our our body with all its aches and pains and things that go wrong we we sense that all is well in the material reality of the world and and feel that and connected with it that's the way that's the way i i see it
1: yeah, you know, I I feel like this might be a, a meaningful way to circle back to something you brought up earlier, Paul, and that that is this idea that when Jesus is quote when Jesus is reassessing and transmitting this idea of quote unquote loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving neighbor as self. Um, which is probably more a more accurate depiction of what he's talking about. We, we tend, like especially in the West, we have tended to view that verse as, I have to do all the loving. I have to do all the work. I have to love God with these four, what we call centers of spiritual knowing. And then I also have to go out and love my neighbor as much as I love myself. Well, I got to kind of figure that out and maybe I got to work on loving myself a little bit. Whereas in the Semitic mind, that whole notion really is learning how to commune with source in these four areas so that as you love neighbor as self, capital S and little s in differentiation, it ends up reformatting the way that we participate with reality itself. Right. Then if we're experiencing love in these four centers, not as you ought to, which is how we we tend to interpret it, but as an opportunity to get to uh, uh, be absorbed with our heart, with our not just our mind in terms of cognition, but in terms of mental awarenesses with soul, our whole psychology, with embodiment, with, with strength. In other words, the, the capacity to live, move and breathe this, as another verse puts it. But when we, when we do this, then we're, we're able to love all things as capital S self and as capital S differentiate as lowercase s differentiated self. When we start doing that, then we're, we have this capacity to, to move through, um, through life in its distinction and then also in its university. So we in um I, I'm trying I'm working hard to try to connect it to what you just shared, but um I I think this is one of those opportunities that we have to to grow in our capacities to be aware in these four centers. Luke, did you want to speak Yeah well
0: I was just gonna actually connect it for you because as you were talking I was like oh you're describing Uh, transcendent feet experience in so many ways, right? You are describing this sense of I'm not loving from the, the singularity of my own particular incarnated being and my body. Although that is right where we're coming from in some sense, that is the I, but we're also moving into that transcendent, Uh, fullness of the divine, the univocity, the one voice, right? In all things, in all of earth, in all of the cosmos, in all matter that includes my body, right? So I'm tapping into that, that reality, that Christ energy, that that I experience in this transcendent sense personally, at least often through this kind of like vibrating quantum bouncing field of entanglement, right? Where it's like, no, I, I, <laughs> I am entangled with you. You are entangled with me, right? We are all of the same substance, the same divine uh, being. And so when we participate in that, the field of love is so much more than just this singular, right? What I'm going to do for someone else or how I'm going to write Like you were describing it. It's, it's participating in that, that field of wholeness. And the other thing that you also were kind of tapping into there a little bit, which I wanted to share from my experience of, of kind of a transcendent way of, of this is through the womb space, um, which Paul was talking about as soul drawing on the language of that verse and how we sense that. And for me, um, I had an experience of this recently, and it, to call it an experience isn't quite the right language, but but the sensing of that connecting back to that that sacrifice of consciousness from Gebser in the womb is like a sinking down into the black hole or into the source, uh, this the the origin, right, this place before, all things before is not the right word. You can't use time here, right? It's it's the <laughs> in-breath, the in breath of creation, the 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 wholeness, the the full the fullness of all uh, at at the moment of inception or or conception or expression, right? It's it's this this sinking down and, and in that place, in that transcendent wholeness, all is well because everything Again, (laughs) language. This is the language of the mystics. This is the way of of trying to give voice or give name to to some of these transcendent experiences and the and the different qualities and dynamics of how we can do that through each of our centers. So that's a little glimpse of, of something, I, I write better than I speak, but <laughs> of coming yeah. into that, that womb experience, right? And the depth of that source and how it flows out through those rivers of living water, how it comes into expression in our lives. But when we're tapped into that deep source, there is, there is this, this unity this wholeness this origin
2: you i know we're reaching the end of our time but you both said it just so beautifully and 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 david when you said commune with source my whole body started shaking <laughs> that, that that's my truth meter when when i hear deep spiritual truth or reality some part of me shakes And that was uh, commune commune with source. Mm -hmm. That that uh, that uh, that says it. And you both you both uh, said it so very well. Summed up here at the end with uh, with what we're about.
0: Yeah. So that's 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 the the first foray here into devotion. Which maybe we can bring it back there of just how um, these expressions of love, these expressions of 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 being. Connected to God through these, this consciousness, through these centers, through these relationships. This is what we're talking about when we mean devotion, right? <laughs> it's not like this sort of obligatory command of obedience that okay, this is the the right thing to do, and this is the the way you need to live your life as sort of this religious um, um, command or. Or uh, imperative, right? There's this, this inner knowing and being and energy and reality that compels us to live in devotion, from devotion, with devotion, because it's the ultimate reality. It's, it's the fullness of life. It's why why wouldn't we, right? It's not an obligation. It's just, it's just that overflowing bliss and joy and love. And, and again, whether we feel it or not, but it's, it's pouring forth from us in how we live our lives, um, with God, with one another and, and with, with the world.
1: I, I have one parting thought and I learned this in, in shamanic teaching that, you know, uh, in, in, in certain forms of shamanic thought, you don't pray for rain, which, again, is, is that kind of Western, um, you know, getting some outside source to do something that you need or require, something that your group desires. Uh, you don't pray for rain, you pray rain. In other words, we're all participating in the mystery. We're not separate from the mystery and trying to get that mystery to do something that we need or desire. But that when we when we are participating with something, we have a natural authority to participate with its healing or with its desires or with its needs. We don't pray for rain. We pray rain. And so, in this sense, when when we're talking about love and communing with the source, we don't pray for love, we pray love. We don't pray to God, we pray God. Mm. Yet, yeah, so we are not trying to get something outside ourselves to then intervene or or to to work with some level of participation. But and I want to honor different differentiation in this. When I say I am God, I'm not saying that I am the sole, exclusive nature of God, but that I am not a thing, something other than God, and you are not something other than God, and we are not something other than God. We're all cells in this body, but cells interdepend on one another and are interpenetrated with each other. So when we when we say love. We're not saying something that's in contradistinction to our own nature, something that we've already said here, but I'm saying it in a different context, that when we pray, we're not praying to something outside or something that we're trying to get. But we we pray love, we pray source, we pray spirit. Beautiful. I might say amen.
0: Amen. (laughs) I love that. And David, that's uh Unknowingly, because you haven't read it, that's a beautiful primer to to my writing on part seven in the devotion series, which will be uh, another follow up podcast that we're going to do on this. So we're going to have Eros next, and then we're going to have uh, that that interface, these new acts of devotion um, for that, that conversation after that. So make sure you're subscribed to our podcast feed. If you're not already, whether you use Apple or whatever, whatever platform you use, you can, you can subscribe so that you'll, you'll get these new episodes downloaded. Um, I'm not good at always pushing that right to say, you know, Hey, subscribe, follow us. We're, we're putting out these podcasts. So do that. Um, make sure you don't miss those conversations. They're going to be really wonderful. We'll be back with those. You're not going to want to miss Eros and, uh, and that other conversation as well. So thank you both Paul and David so much. Thank, thank you to you. our listeners. Um, amen. So good to talk with you all and we'll see you next time.
2: Bye-bye.